This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone, everywhere around the world, and thank you for your patience tonight. I want to say, because we're so many of us are in the computer world, have you ever worked on something with video, audio, images, text, weaving and weaving and weaving for two to three hours, have a computer freeze and then fail and take everything with it? That's what happened today. And the reason that we're starting late is that we have tried to reconstitute everything. And I think it's time that Brad (laughs) gets a new computer. But I want to extend a huge thank you to everyone around the world. Uh, Ian sent me a list about the number uh, top 10 of of the countries that are tuning in each week to this Earth Files YouTube channel. The United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, Netherlands, Germany, Sweden, New Zealand, Ireland, Mexico. And I've always wanted to do a global communication about the profound revolutionary time that we are in moving, I think, irretrievably to that huge headline that needs to break. We are not alone in this universe. And one of you among those 10 nations that I listed that I will call Smith Jones has contacted me about a dramatic UFO experience that he had in the United States Air Force in December 1980, 42 years ago. But you're going to hear echoes of what's happened at other military operations. Now, this is when senior airman Smith Jones was stationed at RAF Upper Hayford, an American air base near Oxford, England. The date was December 27, 1980, between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. And that's when a large, completely silent, triangular-shaped UFO about 40 to 60 feet long and 30 to 35 feet wide, hovered above a section of the flight line and weapon storage area where Airman Smith-Jones was ordered to move bombs for protection. But what Smith-Jones did not know was that same night of December 27, 1980, that big black triangle UFO was also reported at nearby RAF Crowton and more distant RAF Bentwaters near Ipswich on England's west coast. Eventually, the whole world would learn from a UK newspaper about UFO activity at the American airbase RAF Bentwaters, which persisted for three nights from December 26th to 27th to the 28th of 1980. Military eyewitnesses there (coughs) included 
U.S. Air Force Airman First Class John Burroughs, U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant James Penniston, and U.S. Air Force Airman Ed Kavansack, not in this photo. Those three men at Bentwaters on December 26, 1980, had been ordered to investigate highly strange and colorful area lights and beams reported in and above Rendlesham Forest after 1 a.m. on December 26, 1980. <coughs> the night before Senior Airman Jones at the Upper Hayford Air Base on December 27, 1980, was asked to secure bomb weapons near the Hayford flight line without knowing why no one told him anything. According to signed and dated statements about December 26th at Bentwaters, Airman First Class John Burroughs and Staff Sergeant Jim Penniston walked into the Rendlesham Forest to investigate. Airman Ed Kavansack stayed with their truck near the east gate. Sergeant Penniston remembered a bright flash of white light from which emerged a triangular-shaped craft on the forest floor. It looked like it was made of black glass that contained moving colored lights. Sergeant Penniston said after the bright flash, Burroughs was no longer there. UFOs were reported all three nights at Bentwaters of the December 26th, December 27th, and December 28th of 1980. Then, after midnight on December 28th, 1980, Airman John Burroughs remembered running with Sergeant Adrian Bastinza toward this very different looking craft illustrated here. Bastinza said he was, quote, pushed to the ground, close quote by something he could not see at the same time he saw Burroughs rising in light from the ground. Another rumor was that John Burroughs, quote, jumped up on a craft in the forest, close quote. But John has never been able to fully recall what happened to him at RAF Bentwaters in late December of 1980. But Senior Airman Smith-Jones, now 64 and retired as Staff Sergeant after 20 years of service for the U.S. Air Force, contacted me recently about his own encounter with a UFO at RAF Upper Hayford, 137 miles west of RAF Bentwaters and not far from Oxford. There at that American air base in the U.K., Jones worked in the 20th Munitions Maintenance Squadron. After midnight on December 27th, he knew nothing about the UFO activity persisting at RAF Bentwaters to the east. When he was ordered to go up to the Upper Hayford Flight Line and Weapons Storage Area, marked in yellow on this map, he was told to secure bomb weapons and wait for a security escort to convey the weapons to the weapons storage area. No one said why <clears throat> the bombs had to be secured. That part of the flight line was on top of a small hill that gave Airman Jones an unobstructed view looking down on that part of the airbase. He's on a hill looking down.
I arrived out on the flight line. I was supposed to pick up the trailer with the weapons on it at exactly 1 o'clock a.m. on December 27, 1980. I was walking around the trailer of bombs guarding the weapons, and then I happened to turn around at like 1.15 a.m. That's when I saw the fairly large craft. It was of the triangle shape. I did not see the bottom. I see the top of it and the front of it. The front of it, I believe, had two huge viewing windows right up front. How big? The windows themselves? Mm-hmm. I would take a guess that they were about maybe 10 feet across each one of them and maybe five feet tall. Could you see inside of them? I could see the whole floor was lit up in there. I could see the lights up through the windows. The color would have been daylight. That means it's not yellowish or something. It's white. They were coming from the floor up, not from the ceiling down. You said that you had your back to this UFO. When it arrived, yes. I was guarding my munitions, and I was pacing around with my rifle, waiting for security to show up. And then I make a turn, and I was going to walk back the other direction, and there it was. As you turned, what was it that you saw, and why did you know it was a UFO? Because I've never seen anything like it before, and we had nothing in our inventory that can be stealth like that. We have nothing that can just show up with no noise or no nothing. It had to be. Could you hear any sound? Not a thing. That's why it startled me at first when I turned around, because I didn't know anything was there. As you turned around, what exactly were you seeing and feeling and sensing at that moment? Wow, look at this. This thing is big and it made no noise, and I was wondering what's going on here. Did you call out to anybody? No, I did not. There was radio silence at that point. Did you try to phone a superior? I did not. So you're standing there. You're not hearing anything. It's not rocking. It's not moving. There's light in the inside coming from the floor up to the ceiling. Ten by five windows. The shape of a triangle that you're seeing from above. Correct. What is the next thing that you remember vividly that happened? Maybe just a couple minutes after that, a vehicle from civil engineering pulled up and jumped out and goes, Oh, my God, what is that? That's not ours. He was really, really upset, and he got back in his vehicle and he left. Did you ask him, why isn't it ours? No. Did you then call somebody else independently? I was getting nervous about security not showing up. So what evolves here? Around 120 or 125, it's like I lost 20 minutes of time. Because I kept looking at my watch, and at one time it was 20 after 1, and then I looked what I thought was a minute later, and it was 22, 2. And I go, wow, that's weird. Like the Twilight Zone, I felt like I was standing there, with the gun in my hand, and like another part of me came from the right-hand side, and it's like the two of us went together. And what were you feeling? Weird. I mean, I still was not frightened, but it was, what's going on here? But what gave you the feeling that another one of you was merging with you? 
it's like I could see two of me coming together. And you were seeing it in your mind's eye? It felt like I was actually witnessing it. Two of me coming together and my body, the rifle, everything merging to one. What were you seeing of the other self? We looked exactly the same and we were merging together as one. I was holding the rifle in the exact same position and everything, same exact position. It's like we rammed and went together. Have you ever had a conversation with any military or other about the ability of UFOs and ETs to manipulate time? No, I knew nothing about anything of that. I watched it, kept trying to see if I could peek in the windows because it was almost that close because I was on a little hill. I got a view of the underneath when we were putting the weapons back into storage area. And what were you seeing then? That's when I seen those, I call them half-circle orbs. And they were emitting kind of like, uh, they were mixed red, green, yellow type lights. I was sure that's their propulsion for that craft. And they were seven on each side. And in the back, there would have been five. And the shape of each of those lights was? They were half circles. Was there any dominance in the color or was it evenly distributed? It was like the lights were moving, kind of like lightning type thing. They moved inside the orbs, yes. You mean like this would be? The half circles. You were looking at these half moons that seemed to be part of the underneath of the structure. That's correct. But in each half moons that were static, you saw light moving. That is correct. Give me a distribution of the colors and the numbers of lights. The total number of lights would have been 19. They all had different colors moving around in their like static electricity type thing, doing that, all 19 of them. The colors were like red, green, yellow, maybe a little bit of orange. And they were moving around like something was causing static electricity. They were moving around like that. You had the impression that this was the propulsion. Why? Because there's nothing else on it. There was no engines or anything else. That's the only thing that was there. That's when I had the weird feeling. I looked at my clock at 20 after 1, and then I don't remember anything happening or anything, but then I looked at my clock, and I lost 20 minutes. And I had this weird feeling of me standing there, and then like another one of me which I could see, merged together as one. And that would have been about 20 minutes to 2 o'clock. And I got upset. Finally, I did break radio silence, and I said, I need an ETA for security. He said, they're on their way. So those weapons were back in the storage area at 1.45 a.m. We closed the doors, and for 10 or 15 minutes afterwards, we sat on the back of the tug, and we watched the UFO. This was the first time I seen the undercarriage, and I could see all the 19 of the half-moon propulsion systems, where you half-moon glass. And then, I think it was about five minutes after that, the security escorts arrived. What kind of dialogue was then? Get in your vehicle and let's go. We headed straight back to the storage area. So they were in a very big hurry to get those weapons off the line. Did anybody say, what are we going to do about this enormous UFO just hovering here? What can you do 
I mean, you're on an Air Force base, and all you have is big jets that cannot slow down to go up and take a shot at this or anything. So what are you going to do? Was it a total of three of you who watched the craft for 15 minutes? That is correct. And then very casually, it turned very slowly, I would say counterclockwise, pointed itself into a direction and very slowly moved off, almost like saying, I can do whatever I want. It very slowly left the area. The craft begins to slowly move off, and you learn that it was reported. They said it left where we were at, went to Crowton Air Force Base, went to Bentwaters. So you knew from the military in the morning that the same craft that left from Upper Hayford, that it went to Crowton Radar Base, was seen there, and then ended up over RAF Bentwaters, where John Burroughs and Colonel Halt and a whole group of men were out in the forest reporting UFO activity in the sky that included beams coming from aerial objects down to the ground. One of those beams hit the dirt three feet from Colonel Charles Halt's shoe. That part I didn't know. (laughs) That's true. Thinking back that Upper Hayford and Bentwaters are not really that far from each other. Correct. Were you ever then given a brief about what was happening at Upper Hayford and what had been also happening at RAF Bentwaters? No. No briefings ever? No. Who did you talk to about the UFO? The first people that worked with me would have been the people waiting for me in the storage areas that had the revetment doors open. Did anybody of higher authority come to look? No. Do you find that peculiar? I did a little bit, yes, but I don't think they knew what to do at first. I mean, it's obviously, it's penetrated our airspace. Since World War II, our government and senior officials in all branches of military have known about UFOs and that they may not have come because they already knew what it was and why it was there. Oh, I tend to agree with you on that, but I know nothing for sure. By the time that RAF Bentwaters was known, it was a few months later, everything had been kept quiet there. Did you ever hear among any of your colleagues in your RAF Upper Hayford about UFOs also at RAF Bentwaters at that same period of time? Yes, my colleagues told me that it left our base and went up to Bentwaters area. They knew that? They did know that. I cannot answer you how they knew that, but they did know that. Was there any other information about what was exchanged between people at RAF Bentwaters and people at Upper Hayford about this large triangle? No. We were told that this was all to be kept quiet. I have been watching for years to see if someone else was going to say something. What if that was a unique appearance? I have never seen one described that way. As I came in in the morning, I did have uh, little blood spots all over my body, which I had no idea what they were. I walked into the shop and they go, hey, did you hear about the UFO last night? And I go, heard about it. I said, I saw it. You're kidding. I said, no, I had to go out last night. And then they go, what's that all over your body? What's those little spots? 
I said, I have no idea. I said, that <laughs> I just noticed them when I got dressed this morning. And then one of them said, jokingly, you probably got checked out by the aliens. You've been probed by the aliens. And we just laughed a little bit. And instantly at that point, I was called into the office. And I was told by the shop supervisor that he had gotten a phone call from the top and that I was not to open my mouth to anybody. Did they have you go to a medical doctor who knew a lot about the impact of frequencies from UFOs on human bodies? No. Never? Never. I have asked recently my specific physicians around here and asked if those little marks could have been something to do with radiation or something like that, and they all said no. Besides, it wouldn't have been radiation anyhow. It washed right off. They were then surface marks and not blood under the skin. To me, it looked like needles, and then there was just a little bitty dot of blood on each one of them. And they were on my face, they were on my whole body. So these were needle-sized? Yes, a very small little blood came out of each one of them. I did a computer search on tiny spots of bleeding under the skin, and this Cleveland Medical Clinic web post says the condition could be patechia, tiny spots of bleeding under the skin. They can be caused by a simple injury, straining, or more serious conditions. If you have pinpoint-sized red dots under your skin that spread quickly, or patechia plus other symptoms, seek medical attention. And in this, uh, was national, um, this was the, uh, let's see, national, I think this was national health. And it says, quote, does radiation exposure lead to an RDIC is this kind of pigmentation in the skin with little tiny points? And going down to the bottom sentence, quote, there is now extensive evidence that bleeding hemorrhage is a major problem in many different irradiated populations. That means radiation, as recently reviewed. And in 2000, the year 2000, 23 years ago, the UK Ministry of Defense produced a secret UK eyes only report entitled Unidentified Aerial Phenomena in the UK Air Defense Region. It was done in volumes. And one of its most important revelations is that UFOs emit terahertz frequencies that are linked to the damage of human hearts that are chambered organs with hollow spaces in them, which means that they can vibrate very quickly in the presence of terahertz frequency and that that association of terahertz frequencies is one of the, what I've been told is the caution that being close to an operating UFO can be dangerous to the human body. And it turns out that John Burroughs of the Rendlesham Forest, uh, those three nights and his perhaps being taken in light and he's never remembered it. But he ended up as a young, healthy male there 
with nothing in his original records getting to RAF Bentwaters of any health problem, certainly not a heart problem, after December 26th, 27th, 28th of 1980, within I think a year or two, John got a medical notation that there was something about the rhythm or something was showing up in his heart. And the only thing that could possibly be pointed to as possibly causing it is what did happen. John is frustrated and has been for years. I've worked with him in various hypnosis sessions of his trying to break through. And he can see little blue orbs under hypnosis. He has the feeling that blue orbs are trying to guide him somewhere. <clears throat> and I'm suffering from juniper, which is right outside the windows. And this is terrible this spring, so I apologize if I cough and I sound like a, a throat thing. But John ended up uh, hospitalized after we did the production for Ancient Aliens in England in December of 2010. And that was the first where the gear shifted to something really serious. And we had been right back in the Rendlesham Forest, uh, working with film crew, uh, running. We ran. Uh, they wanted us to show and demonstrate that the berms that are in Rendlesham Forest that go up and down, uh, how tough it is to run. And yet that's what would have had to happen to keep up if, with the lights that they saw moving. And after that trip, John went from, um, I would say, minor to major uh, problems. And to this day, he has a major problem. They had to operate, and they found that the leaflets in his mitral valve, they, the, they're thin leaflets that help control the passage of the blood fluid in the body. And in John, when they did the surgery, they told his attorney who was waiting there for him that they were so deteriorated and so much of them had frayed that John might have died the next day or the next week if they hadn't done the surgery. And when it comes to uh, Smith-Jones, when we did this interview, he, he asked me, he said, do people who have been close to UFOs, do, are there uh, certain disease symptoms or syndromes that affect them from whatever is coming off the UFOs? And I was telling him about what had happened to John Burroughs and about the fact that there was this UK study that was done very secretly in 2000 and then released later uh, that pinpointed that there are these terahertz frequencies that can do damage. And then I learned, after I had done the interview, that's when he said, uh, Airman retired Jones, staff sergeant, he said, I have been suffering from uh, vein artery surfaces being apparently damaged in my heart. And he said, and I've always wondered, could it have had something to do with being so close to that big triangular UFO when I was at Upper Hayford on that night 
of December 27th of 1980. An even bigger box on all this is that superior officers apparently knew about what was happening at Bentwaters, knew something about what was happening at Upper Hayford, but none of the people that were working, like uh, Smith-Jones, they were never told anything about what was happening, what could be happening. They just had to go and protect the weapons storage area, the WSA. So how often have there been these dramatic UFO encounter experiences by people in military positions and they don't have anything filled in for them? We still don't have the truth that we're not alone in this universe and that advanced intelligences are interacting with our planet, have been interacting with our planet for millions of years. That's the truth. That is the whole truth. And that superior officers, in some cases, might know about some of this, and yet the general working military people who have to go out and move the bombs and move weapons to protect them from whatever it is that's unknown and that implies also that the governments of the world have some information about UFOs showing up and perhaps, as has happened here in the United States, up in Montana and, and that region where we had the uh, nuclear missiles, that they have demonstrated that they can stop in their tracks any electronic signal going to a nuclear missile uh, and maybe that was what was of concern at Upper Hayford. But I wanted to bring this to you because I think that this is one of the most fascinating, resonating stories that no one that I know ever heard anything about Upper Hayford in detail as we were able to hear from Smith-Jones tonight and knowing it was going at exactly the same time, same time zone, same time in the UK between the big RAF Bentwaters and Upper Hayford. So with this, I would like to extend um, sort of, I guess, a request. If there are any of you listening who have served in military bases and you have been exposed to anything like this large triangle with what appears to be electrostatic lights in the bottom that uh, I personally have never seen an illustration or heard of a craft quite like this before. If any of you have, I would also like to know that because at least we have each other and those of you who I know have served in the military and you do let me know certain pieces of information. I know that it's, this is an audience that knows a great deal. It's the issue of trying to get it out into a public discussion. And I would love to hear in whatever way 
hard mail. I try to uh, work through hard mail or through Proton. And if anybody has more information that would go on beyond this particular uh, story tonight, I would sure like to hear from you. And if any of you have ever been exposed to what you think was something like close to something that was glowing on the ground that was round or triangular or cylindrical, and you ended up with any of these tiny little blood spots on your skin or eventually a heart problem, I'd like to know that too. I just wonder how much is out there in the general world population where people are so afraid to talk about having any experience with UFO because they're so afraid of being attacked or sarcasm when the truth is these are serious issues and we all, every one of us on the planet deserve to know that we're not alone in this universe. And I thought that before going to Ian tonight that I would share with you a brief quote that I think sums up a lot of things and it's from Rudolf Steiner in his important book, Theosophy. Quote, our universe is paired to another, which is completely opposite of this one, a theme that I've talked about just recently. There the skies are glowing white with dark suns, colors are indescribable and iridescent, and time flows to the past. Like a conveyor belt, at the moment of death, in our universe we move through a tunnel into the mirror universe where it is all light, and there time moves to the past and souls return to here." Close quote. Interestingly, that very concept that Rudolf Steiner expressed so beautifully, I have heard in various descriptions, one by a scientist on the East Coast who, who experienced consciously having his body rise out of a car into a UFO, was totally conscious, became aware that he could look back and see his matter body in the car his father was driving. And he sees his body from this out-of-body experience and finds that he's either being pulled, that's what it's, he thought it was, he was being pulled up into. And all he could see in the state that he was in for a while was a pulsing red light. And then as he got closer, he realized it was circular, donut-shaped. Then the red light seemed to have interaction with him. And he seems to be pulled down into this craft, completely aware of his body and his father, who is pulled over now to the side of the road. And he can see his father looking up. His matter body is not moving, but he's totally conscious in two places at once. And he had a most remarkable experience with ETs. And he described for me in great detail that one of the things that they showed him was something like a holographic projector. 
and that they were trying to explain this is this universe and here is another universe. It was a multiverse explanation and that what you are not understanding is that in this universe that you know, your soul passes out at the moment of death and can go into another universe, can go into another dimension. And it was one of the very first in-depth discussions going back probably 30 years ago at least with this doctor that uh, I talked at that time about this subject of recycling, which the other word would be reincarnating. And that he, as a scientist, was being shown a concept that he was sharing with me, a reporter, that we both could resonate with. And yet the interaction came through something that would be so outlandish for someone to go on TV or radio or someplace and say, we were driving at 70 miles an hour on the turnpike leaving Manhattan on my birthday dinner. It was, that's what they were doing. And we get onto the freeway and the next thing I know, I'm going through the front window of the car and I'm going up into a black UFO silhouetted, no lights except for the red pulsing light that seemed to pull me and that I could look back and see my dad in the car and my own body. Although that is not the only experience. And all of this, everything from Smith-Jones, uh, very, I think, intriguing testimony about what he experienced at Upper Hayford, and then moving out into the whole world, that you need to always keep this huge context of being in a conscious universe in which there are probably multiverses to infinity, and that this is something that has a cycle to it, and that light, light, the thought that dwells in the light, is perhaps the biggest consciousness of all, and that what it is waiting for is for everything that has been set in motion to continue to evolve into infinity while it sees the souls grow. In their recycling, they grow. And that in the end, if we only knew the whole truth, you, everyone, homo sapien on this planet, we have strong souls that are worth fighting for and that being educated by others that are our own colleagues or even strangers who have had these interactions and they're afraid to talk about them, that we will become healthier as a world if we can all talk with each other the way Smith-Jones and others talked with me and that I can share with you on the Earth Files YouTube channel. So thank you. Please excuse my scratchy juniper allergy. And I throw it to dear Ian in England. Is he in there? Hi, Linda. Yes, I'm here. Can okay. you hear me okay? Yes.
Yes. Okay, good. Uh, yes, our audience tonight have also experienced the same sort of thing. We have Leak You Paranormal says, uh, it happened to me. He says, I saw my first UFO at 12. I suffered from the same skin condition during incidents. Uh, my first UFO was shaped like a teardrop. I now have heart failure. He says as well, uh, the person I witnessed my first UFO with is still alive and also remembers. And it was in Jacksonville, Florida in 1990. And what we need, Ian, if there is anybody in our audience who has hard medical information, military medical information that says there is a direct link between the emission of terahertz frequencies from UFOs to the petechia, which is at least one of the conditions that looks like this. There are others, but it, we can at least say we're looking for other in our audience, people who have had the tiny blood needle pricks. Um, and are there people who, who have it or have had it? And maybe it has gone on to heart disease. It would be very interesting to know if UFOs are related. And then should we then be totally afraid of everything? My answer is no, no. The more we learn the more we would be educated about if a UFO landed, you might not want to rush up to it, but you might want to stay at a distance and, and a long distance. We need to be educated about the truth. And this is, for me, this is the very first time that I have ever seen the photographs of Patikia and listened to somebody who had what sounds like Patikia in Upper Hayford, but I had never heard of that condition being linked to being close to a UFO before, after all these years. So uh, this is how we learn. This is how we get stronger. Okay, Ian. Well, Don K. Johnson, who's had lots of experiences, is in the chat as well tonight. He says, I got this back in 1995 after I saw a fireball fly over the valley into Simi Valley. I broke out all over the next day. Well, remember, there are other things that can cause it. There are fungi, there are all kinds. And this is, again, where we have to be our own scientists. If something happens and you have a question, you try to seek out, a, say, a, a group like Opus. Uh, Lester Velez from MUFON founded OPUS, O-P-U-S, all caps. And uh, Les and his group are trying to work on scientific method, approaching the abduction syndrome, uh, gathering uh, facts so that independent of government policies of denial, that there are efforts in scientists and in doctors who are really seriously trying to uh, organize a way that we could get more information, and then we would be able to know, okay, if X, Y, and Z are also in the syndrome of the person, it could definitely be associated with terahertz. Other conditions, other descriptions, it might not be terahertz. These are where we have tremendous blind spots, and we need to be educated, but Ian, being able to share what people are 
emailing in or chatting in now, that is really valuable. I would like to know if there are, how many people might have had petechia and associate it with the presence of a, a round or cylinder or triangular object. Right, well, we'll hope, hopefully learn more. Sustainable Energy says, could an extremely strong magnetic field suck iron in the blood to the surface of the skin and cause this condition? I understand the concept of the question, and maybe that is something that I can put to the Opus group and find out what medical doctors would say. I would try to do that. Okay, Space Ghost also says ion radiation, and it will be a big issue for future space travel also. Yeah, we're, exactly. <laughs> we're on Earth, but we're going to have, we already have a base on the moon, but we're going to make it public, and then people will be spending, as I understand, they would like to have people uh, spend, like if they want to go to the moon for two years, <clears throat> and then come back to Earth. Uh, whatever. And the same on Mars. We're moving out into space. We're already out there with starships. And it's so uh, important that the whole existing Earth learn what they are learning about living on the moon and Mars and beyond. Okay, Linda, we've got some other uh, people coming in uh, with their own experiences. Liam Warren says, I saw two vertical tubes-shaped objects land in my garden in 1968 in East Coast, East Coast, London, UK. I was age four at the time. There was writing on the sides of the white tubes, but it was not human. I asked uh, Liam how big they were, and he says about 20 feet high. Uh, he also says that uh, he believes that the... Um, I'm just looking for his last comment here. Ian, do, do you mean that they're describing a tic-tac, a, a white cylindrical object? Sorry, what did you say? Are they describing a tic-tac-like cylindrical object? Liam Warren is describing two vertical tube-shaped objects that right. landed in the garden about 20 feet long. Um, but I wonder if that could be like a tic-tac, quote-unquote. Yeah. Uh, one of the best things uh, Liam could do is contact us directly at Earthfiles at earthfiles.com and give yeah. us a, a, a drawing of what, yes. what he's actually experienced. Yes, that would be really helpful. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, Lee Q Paranormal says, Linda, are you aware there are over 100 lawsuits against the U.S. military from families who lost family members due to accidents involving UFOs? The data is there and lawsuits have been filed. 100 families? Yeah, I'm not sure where, um, where Lee Q Paranormal gets that information from, but perhaps you could send us the source. We'd be interested to follow up on that. I, yes, I've not heard this. I would very much appreciate if uh, you have a URL that you can send me. I will see if I can interview someone. And we've also had Magic Mania in the chat this evening. I believe Magic Mania may have served in the U.S. military, uh, their comment is, the glowing thing in Rendlesham Forest was actually seen on the night of December the 24th also, but not reported. And where was it on that night? I don't know. I don't have any other information. But again, Magic Mania, please contact us and give yes. us more information. I would really like to know, uh, because that, and what was happening 
in that last week of December that would have provoked uh, UFO, other intelligence to interact with military uh, bases. And the, everybody was concerned about their tactical nuke weapons and bombs and all of that. I wonder what was happening that last week of December of 1980 that none of us know about. Well, some people are speculating that there was a, uh, a certain um, escalation in the Cold War and uh, we were ratcheted up very close to a nuclear conflict because of the political situation at that exact time. And that probably makes sense because I really do think that it is true that the tall whites and at least one uh, type of Nordics collaborate and that the one thing that they do not want to happen on this valuable, incredible planet is nuclear war. So hooray if the tall whites and the Nordics have kept us from that, from, from, from nuke. So we wonder what was happening at the uh, weapon storage areas where these uh, craft were apparently beaming down lights as well. That's right. That's right. What else have you got? Yeah, the, the chat is alive tonight with so many uh, people. Uh, Welcome, all of you. Good. <laughs> uh, the rabbit hole says, one day I found discovered blood on my, on my shin. I picked it off and there were parallel needle marks like a dual pronged fork. Two weeks later, it happened again. Well, he... <laughs> All of this needs to uh, separate out to get a reality check. Uh, people who have had this, was there, like were you outside, could it be contact with fungi? You have to sort of go through and eliminate possibilities and then come back to, was there any kind of an unusual event, like a beam in your bedroom at night, paralysis, going outside the roof or having that sense? Uh, finding yourself in a beam of light, going up into a craft. Anybody who has dreams or memories of any of that, it's likely that there was some kind of a abduction is a word that uh, we've used for decades. And I think it is probably still usable because the abduction is the taking from the house or the farm or the car or wherever up into a craft. But the, we're back to the whole huge landscape of agendas. It could be, as in some cases, humans have at least, they think that they've been actually healed of certain things when they have been taken by certain ETs. In others, it's a much more dramatic and troubling extraction of sperm, extraction of eggs, skin, and that fits into this huge, huge hypothesis that the Earth has been used for 278 million years for laboratory experiments, genetic experiments, genetic creations, genetic harvesting, rehybridizing, and that that has been going on and on and on. So from the ET point of view, mixing, matching, extracting genes, animals from Earth is nothing new. But we, Homo sapiens sapien, in this form, are only about 45,000 years old in the last crossfade with Neanderthalensis. So we don't have the big picture. 
and we're on a planet in which the power brokers and heads of governments for a long time have kept making the decision that they don't want anybody to know the truth. But the truth is the truth. So, what else, Ian? Could you hear me, Linda? Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, Christina Lazma Jimenez says, Linda, please do a show on missing time and tell, and how to tell when time has been missing. I'm pretty sure most of us are experiencing that. Well, uh, we what, wasn't that a fascinating part out of Smith-Jones, how he was officially looking at his clock, and it was a clock. He may have been holding it or stuff some way. And that the clock is what, when he had the feeling that he had just looked at it one second ago, and then the hand was 20 minutes later, and that that sort of revelation has happened to people in the definite human UFO abduction. But in this case, it is so interesting that he went further and described the feeling of being in two places at once, essentially identical and watching himself merge with himself. There was a period of time when Bud Hopkins and I uh, and a group of people, this probably goes back to around 1980, 81, 82, somewhere in there, and he had uh, some people uh, in the abduction syndrome that he was studying over at his apartment in New York and invited me to go there. And uh, we, we were talking about this whole question of he had entitled his book, Missing Time. And it is a book everybody should read. And the, I remember in, sitting in that apartment with Bud and some of the abductees, and the whole subject was, how does it work? How do ETs say, say that you're sitting in a chair at 12.45 a.m.? and a beam comes, but you're not conscious. And, and, but you see the clock, and you see as you are going up in the beam of light that it's 12, 15, 12, 20 a.m. you knew. And then the next thing that you know, you are back, but now the sun is up, the clock, and, and you have all this missing time, and you don't know what happened. Or it can be compressed time. Time can be collapsed down to the same second, which I talked about uh, last, I think last show and, and uh, the show before. And that is the speedometer that goes out of focus. And that's all that the person, that's the only thing they can remember that was weird. And then when they do deep hypnosis, it comes out that they might've been taken for a month and that the beings have the ability to manipulate time and put the human right back to exactly the second in the room at midnight at whatever it was, even though they will have that person for a month or two, possibly that long, and still reinsert them so that on earth, there was no time loss in the, in the physics of it. And yet, the ETs had that 
person from Earth for a long period of time. That was, that was what we were puzzling over long ago in Bud Hopkins' apartment. How would that work? I still don't understand it, but I, I grasp it a little bit more because I've talked with so many people who that's one of the things that they talk about is they knew that they had missing time because they had something in front of them that, that they were aware of at least what the earth time was. Okay, Ian? Yeah, just before we went on air tonight, I was doing some research and one of the terms that I came across was uh, related to missing time with actually related to missing time and, um, and UFOs. And it was actually referred to as uh, simultaneous realities, that people find themselves in simultaneous realities. Yeah, that is a really, yeah, I think I've heard that before, but we all should probably uh, do a mo more investigation and use that simultaneous reality. So some part of you, like he saw the merging, uh, Smith-Jones, of two of him, and he experienced it, that he came together and then they merged. Well, maybe one was doing something completely at a different time, and this one that was his immediate consciousness was more immediate and he didn't even know that some part of himself had been taken. And those are the mysteries that provoke these deep night discussions about how does the physics of simultaneous realities, how does it work? Anybody listening who is a scientist, a physicist, an engineer who has worked in aerospace, work for the government, work for the military, and you have answers to these questions, I would love to learn more. And we, we must not be afraid to ask all of these questions in our ignorance that is ignorance because of all the policies of denials that the planet has been in for so long. These are good questions. We need to understand more. What kind of universe are we really in? And if it is a multiverse, infinite number of universes, where does that lead? I find this fascinating. Okay, Ian. Uh, Linda, I need to do the super shots before we run out of time ourselves. Okay. So here we go. Moonbird, Terry D, Earth Angel, Patty London, Christina Ledesma Jimenez, Free Your Mind, Whisper of Love, Fernando Menendez from Brazil, Yin Yang Glow, Liam Marshall, <laughs> Leek Yu, Paranormal, Rebecca Cole, Augustus Wetzel, The Rabbit Hole, and Northern Lights. Thank you, everyone. Oh, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, what is the gestalt tonight of the comments and chat that you have been seeing about uh, about the general sense of how important this particular story is to our audience. I find it really important. I'm just wondering if other people are feeling that we are getting closer and closer to substantial insights from people who have been in the military, in science, in medicine, who really know a lot about 
these phenomena. And that what a gear shift to in the positive direction it would be if instead of being afraid to speak, that we could get this headline out, let's say next month, we're not alone in this universe, there's at least biology in the TRAPPIST-1 solar system, and start moving where we would be able to have more and more scientists and doctors and engineers speak what they know about the phenomena. I, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, if people could contact us. But yes, the chat is alive tonight. If you want to ask them anything, Linda, they're in the chat, they'll respond. Well, what, what interested all of you the most? Let's, let's see, send uh, uh, the chat comments. What interested you the most tonight? Let's wait for a response from the audience. We're just uh, waiting to see what they say, what interests them the most. While we're doing that, um, did um, your source Smith-Jones ever contemplate having a hypnosis session to recover his missing time? I think that he is interested now. He's asked me about finding out more information about what did happen when he was so close to this strange, huge triangle with the electrostatic. That, that interests me the most uh, of this whole story in many ways, as I told him. If there is somebody in the audience who has information, I would love to get more. But what interested me, intrigued me, what is the propulsion system, if that's what it is, that would have the 19 approximately three, five, six inches wide half moons with what looked like the electrostatic energy in these different colors confined inside of these half moons on the bottom of something that was 30 to 40 feet wide and 60, uh, no, it was not feet, it was yards, 60 to 80 yards long. I mean, that's big. That's, that's like having nearly an oval or triangular-shaped football field in front of you, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, um, I mean, it's amazing. And it's also interesting to speculate about the propulsion system and, uh, and its effects on, uh, on, on people. Uh, Kelly N says, I love the topics. I myself have frequent missing time and marks on my body. And hello, Ali says, uh, yes, interested to hear about the petechia symptoms as well. Okay, yes, I would like to learn more about petechia and especially the question, is terahertz frequency, it, even in secret research, is it associated with producing petechia? And that, and it may be that there are studies, and that's what we need. We need to have real studies with real facts. Go ahead, Ian. I, I think the consensus from the audience is, yes, they love the stories. Here's Christine Lynn says, I love the stories from the military and their experiences. Yeah. It opens my eyes to things that I never knew could be possible. So interesting. I learned so much here. Well, <clears throat> and I agree with you completely. Our military are put in other parts of the world to do battle or whatever their assignments are. And I think that since World War II, maybe even going back to World War I, 
that that has always been one of the areas of human work, use that word, where UFOs have also concentrated their attention. And the, the Minuteman missile fields in the United States, if we knew for real which extraterrestrial biological entities, not artificial intelligence, the biological entities, which ones really are concerned about us as a species and our survival. I would really, really like to know, and I think it is the tall whites working with some faction of the Nordics, working with some faction of what are called the ancient tall greys that may actually be biological and they may be the progenitors, but the greys are, so much of it is artificial intelligence. Um, and, and being able to have these dialogues, it's as if, if we could just get more facets from people about what, what being, what happened that you interacted with that you thought was positive, not negative, positive. And that to me is part of why I do what I do. I think that we're in such a revolutionary time and every human needs to be educated about the truth of our relationship with a universe, other dimensions, thought that dwells in the light, civilizations that can be perhaps resonating between one universe and this universe dimensions, all of it, those have been largely subjects that the vast majority of people have never been educated about. And would you agree, Ian, that those are the very subjects that are front and center in the people that we know have literally gone with ETs into other craft and sometimes to other planets and return with an entirely new view of the Earth. Absolutely, yes, it's what they can tell us. And uh, I can see that I'm also starting to receive emails from some of the people in the chat right now. Uh, Rosie Rose says, the person who saw two of his cells merging into one, that sounds familiar. So we're triggering memories as well Good. from other people. Good. But it, it, I've, I've got to make a couple of announcements quickly, Linda, before yes. we run out of time here. Uh, I want to mention as well that you are actually on Gaia's new Deep Space Season 4, and we're going to put the details in the show notes at the end of the, um, at the bottom of this video. Is this, also, the, is this the work that I... about the upcoming conference at uh, Portal to Ascension and the PowerPod conference. All right, but is, are you referring in Gaia to the work I did with Tim from Germany? information I have here is that um, uh, you are on Gaia's new Deep Space Season 4. Oh, it's probably production that we'll, we'll be doing then. I'm not sure. I'll talk with uh, Sid, the producer, about it all. But I'm glad that people are watching uh, this work. I think that the interviews that we were able to do uh, with uh, the sort of quasi-mysterious Tim from Germany that they really did dig into some profound issues. And 
uh, go ahead and give out information on, I go to Parapod uh, next weekend, Parapod Festival uh, that's in uh, San Clarita. And it is wonderful uh, that uh, the Tony Sweet, who is producing, wanted to give me a legend award. And I guess at 81 uh, cycles, revolutions around the sun, that maybe that word <laughs> is, is applicable, even though I always feel from my inside out that I don't feel any differently than I remember feeling when I was in junior high or high school, uh, wanting to explore, travel the world, learn as much as I could about as many mysteries as I could, never knowing that I would end up, when I was director of special projects at the CBS station in Denver, that I would be presented with photographs and stories about mutilated animals and wanted to get to the bottom of it. And here we are on May 22nd of 2023. Mutilations are still taking place. Are they gory? No, they're neat. The excisions are bloodless. The ground is trackless, and that's why it's always been important. But again, does it fit into what I think is the true biggest box of the function of Earth interacting with ETs? And that is, is that our planet is actually special, and that exactly as my aerospace source of the last three years told me, the ETs, like the Tall Whites and the Nordics, consider this a, a laboratory. You mix and match genes. You manipulate already evolving DNA. And that if we just knew the whole truth about the whole magnificence that this Earth planet has been and can be, even though right now, that forces of climate change could end up hurting the earth and hurting humans and hurting other animals. All the more reason for us to understand and try to learn and hopefully persuade governments to tell us the truth. Could we be working with extraterrestrials that are vastly intelligent and could help us get through a period of time that we might not be able to get through by ourselves. What is wrong with opening up all of it to all of us so that we would appreciate the planet that we're on more and ourselves, our relationships with each other as fellow beings? And Ian, I'm just curious before we close out and thank all of you that have patiently stayed to be in the program tonight when we had freezing computer failure and uh, Brad and I are both allergic to juniper and uh, sneezing and coughing. Fortunately, I think it cleared up somewhat. But Ian, I would like to know if you've got half a dozen responses from people about what interested them the most in addition to what you already suggested. Uh, I think that they were very interested 
the, the gestalt is that uh, people are very interested to know about uh, the actual experiences that people have and the physical experiences. That was a very interesting point that they want to follow up on and they want to learn more on, and especially the missing time. So those are the two main things that I've taken away from tonight's program. And the, uh, they're referring to what happens during a missing time event, like the physical abduction. They want to know more about what happens in physical abductions. Right, to learn more about what actually happened, but also they're still interested in the other core issues. That UFO chick is in the um, audience tonight. She said, the information you've shared on the mutilations have always been truly fascinating. I've always enjoyed your work. Thanks for making so much effort to share what you know, Linda. And I think that the, oh, and chocolate has just jumped up. Bless his heart. You've got to see his face. Look at this beautiful guy. I love him. I love Fluffy. And they don't always come, but when they do, I like them to feel uh, welcomed. But um, we all, I think that what I feel special about you, the Earth Files YouTube channel audience and the communications to me is you are not living in fear. You all, like me, I want to know the whole truth, the good, the bad, wonderful, awful. I want to know the whole huge truth. And if it starts this year with simply an announcement on they've got a biolog biological signature and they're not attributing, it's just a biological signature. It's like you can begin to feel the energy surging like a new wave like the discussion tonight with all of you, that when it is considered politically okay to talk about other intelligences in the universe, maybe, maybe the whole earth would start in humanity, would start getting healthier. Because what's happening between people now is sort of scary. And I embrace all of you and hope that you keep telling me what you know, military, engineering, medical, everywhere. I will keep trying to put it into the Earth Files YouTube channel so that it can be shared with everybody who needs to be protected. I always protect people who can speak in their, their real name. That's great but that we start taking on more and more and more of these complex subjects through your experiences, your information. And that way, I'll have an endless, endless stream of this revolutionary time to share with you. We're not the only intelligent life in this huge universe of at least three trillion stars, conservative estimate based on the James Webb telescope photo. Just think of that, three trillion stars. And if there's more in other dimensions, wow, so much to learn and find out. And that's why I love doing the Earth Files YouTube channel. And hopefully we'll get a new computer that's not gonna freeze and we lose all of our work. 
but how wonderful it is to feel that you guys stayed around even with that happening. I can't thank you enough, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. And Ian, as we go out, can you give the dates of the Parapod and uh, the uh, journey, uh, go, portal, portal to Ascension and contact it, in the desert. Yes, we've posted them in the show's notes underneath this video, and we'll also post them in the chats as we speak. So for those of you who make it to those conferences, come say hello, and we can meet in the matter world as well. I love you guys. Stay well. See you next week. listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com.